Hey everybody, this is Kyle Newbeck from the New Slant. We'd like to start today's podcast by thanking one of our sponsors, Indochino. Those of you who watched this year's NBA draft might remember R.J. Barrett's pink suit that he wore the night he was selected by the Knicks. And although that franchise blows and he plays for a trash team, he's usually wearing some great suits before and after games, all provided to him by our friends at Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. And the process is really simple. You choose your fabric, you pick your customizations, and you submit your measurements. You get a package delivered straight to your door in two weeks. And if you don't want to do it all online, you can actually get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at indochino.com right now you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at indochino.com when entering blue wire at checkout that's b-l-u-e-w-i-r-e plus shipping is free that's indochino.com promo code blue wire for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made to measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. And on top of that, once again, I'm Kyle Newbeck, co-host of The New Slant. Our podcast today is being brought to you by Indochino, Harry's Razors, and Roman. So as always, shout out to those guys for keeping our lights on. With me, as always, my buddy, my co-host, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how you doing? You know it's really keeping the lights on. Furkan Aldemir shooting or Furkan Korkmaz. Oh my! God. How many times him, are you gonna call him Furkan in Aldemir? My head, in my heart, right? I wish he was Furkan Aldemir. The, you wish he was a guy who who couldn't move. No, and I his wish signature he, skill I wish was Furkan rebounding. Aldemir was contributing in the way that he is contributing now. Though I obviously well. like him. He, I think he was like eighth on my Liberty Ballers big board in 2016, <laughs> which it's looking more and more right by the day. It's looking more and more like. Uh, Maybe we dabbled a little too hard in draft coverage. I had Jamal Murray third. Well, there you go. You deserve a little credit for yeah, that. I did nothing. I had Wade Baldwin fourth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I man. was the huge Wade Baldwin guy. Yeah, well, unfortunately, one of those guys that Seamus just named was part of a, a big comeback victory over the Sixers last Friday night. I feel like as many good vibes as there have been the first few weeks of the season for the Sixers, the, none of those outweighed the bad vibes that came out of Sixers Twitter after the, the collapse of a loss in Denver because it brought back all these these nightmares of, oh, they're, it's the same old Sixers. They're doing it again. They blew a huge lead. John Bede's turning the ball over. And a, an enemy of or at least a rival of Joel Embiid's Nikola Jokic is the guy that sealed their fate. And so it just seemed like there's a lot of consternation about that loss that thankfully I, I almost completely sat out of. I don't know how miserable or not miserable you were after that loss, Seamus, but it was a tough one. Pretty bad. <laughs> That's all you got? Well, Pretty no, bad. I was, it was uh, an alumni uh, 
weekend at Penn or homecoming, whatever I'm going to say. So I was hanging out with some old college friends, uh, watching the game at a bar and did not react well. I was got a little mouthy, a little too early, got a little too cocky about the, the Sixers early lead and, uh, some loser Denver people found my account and just had to mute. Every- I muted everything and just literally <laughs> deleted Twitter off my phone until the next day. The mute function is honestly, it's it's the only thing that makes Twitter usable for me. Yeah, whether you're muting people or you can just mute the entire tweet. That's the best one. That is a really great feature. And then I just literally deleted it off my phone so I wouldn't be tempted. Yeah, well, one thing that we can't mute or, or ignore completely, unfortunately is Joel Embiid's struggles in that game. And I guess some of his struggles, not just this season, but in years past. I thought that game in Denver was sort of the, the picture-perfect game for me of where how far he still has to go on offense. Like, as good as a player as he is, when he's matched up against somebody like Nikola Jokic, the game plan cannot be, hey, I'm just going to try to go through him for – 48 minutes or, or however many minutes he's on the floor Take forever to get around him right like somebody like Jokic and this is also true it's my biggest point of critique with Joel against other matchups too I think Sixers fans will see a guy like Ennis Cantor on the schedule and it's like oh man he sucks on defense Joel's gonna torch him the reality is someone like Cantor one of the only things that he can do is be a, a big burly dude in the post and you're not just going to run him over. The guys that people like Jokic and Kanner struggle to deal with are the pick and roll guys who just they throw lobs over their heads and just beat them in space and guards torture them and that's how you beat them. And I, as much as I I appreciate the competitive juices in in Joel Embiid where he wants to go right at somebody's chest, I think in a lot of t- a lot of matchups against guys that are are strong enough to deal with him, it ends up being a detriment because he refuses to play the game other than the way that he wants to play it. Do you think the NBA should consider banning any games being played in Denver because of the altitude? <laughs> because no. that's when like, we complain about his conditioning. That's what <laughs> happens when he's playing in Denver after sitting a couple games out. Listen, if Nikola Jokic... But he his... plays there all the time. He practices there. He lives there. He's used to it. So he is. That, imagine if he was played in Philly and then went there for a road game. He would collapse on the court. Listen, man. All I'm saying is, if you're a professional athlete, it's your responsibility to be ready for a game. Whether that means having to alter your plan, I I don't I, I don't really care about the. I think the uh, the altitude stuff is overrated. Honestly, these guys are or are or at least should be in good enough shape that. None of that should really matter when that like they're. It's not like they're there and they're they're running like an Ironman race. Have they're you playing, ever been to Denver? A game. I've been in high altitude situations. Oh, where at? <laughs> We're not the, turning this the into Poconos the Kyle Newbeck conditioning podcast. Bear Grills with Kyle Newbeck on the Discovery Seamus, Channel. I, I just would like to point out that you are ignoring the fact that Joel has no counters to guys who are are strong enough to defend him. If you would like to offer no, a I counterpoint I disagree here. with that. I just don't think my complaints with the team currently don't really start with him. Well, that's, that's, that's fair. Yeah, fair. That's fine. But, yeah. but in, in that specific instance, like, look, we get on Ben Simmons a ton. And when I say we, I just mean the collective Sixers universe. Oh, not you. 
whether that's reporters, whether that's fans, whether that, I mean, even coaches internally, externally, whatever, how, whoever you want to say that about Ben Simmons gets a lot of flack and rightfully so. Like he's, he's got very prominent flaws, but I think because Joel Embiid won so much acclaim with his early performances and obviously they've been a disaster without him on the floor in years past it's easy to just kind of look past the the downsides of of his style of play and and what he brings to the table and I'm just here to say we shouldn't do that we have to treat or I at least have to treat all these guys fairly and so when Joel goes out and in a game where they're missing Ben Simmons and he needs to have a, a bigger and better game to account for that when he falls flat on his face and gets straight up outplayed by a guy that I still think is not as good as he is but got outplayed by him nonetheless like that's worthy of being talked about yeah and then the refs blow it at the end it's always the ref's fault. It's never Joel <laughs> fault. Well, then I hate the last two-minute report. Like, what's the point of that? It only irates people. Like, I remember that happened in 2018 when they lost in Game 5 against Boston. There was some, like, weird foul. I don't know if it was on Smart or Embiid or whatever the situation played out where it shouldn't have been called that way and the Sixers ended up losing. It's just, like, it only breeds insanity to even release the last two-minute report. Are the refs Are the refs held accountable for that? Do you know that? You would know better than I. I do not know that, but here is my strong take. I think increased replay sucks in sports oh, across too. the board. Yeah, I think, I think at, from a, um, like a, a broad point of view, it has only made talking about sports a more miserable experience for everyone. Because, like, look, we can go back through Philadelphia sports history or any sports market's history – and point to bad calls that led to crappy outcomes and everybody knows where they were when this call was missed the the six flyers fans that still exist still talk about a an offsides call from the early 80s like my dad this is a brief brief tangent on the flyers my dad still will tell me that the early 80s flyers team was better than the New York Islanders who won like four straight Stanley Cups. Yeah, I don't know and about that one, Chief. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, they were the better team that year. It's like, well, if they're the better team that year, I don't think the same team they lost to would have won four straight titles in that same time period. Now, granted, in his defense, that Flyers team did set the all-time unbeaten streak in professional sports that season. So maybe there's something to that. But Or in yeah, American they, they sports. Get, anyway. They didn't win anything. Guess what? They didn't win. The offsides call was what it was. That's like me saying the get 2002 Eagles are the Super Bowl champions. No one cares. It's not true. Right. But the point being, I think replay has made stuff worse. Because in it the past... In the past, you could just basically you could say, oh, well, that's a human error. It happens. It sucks. And it's something we get mad about. But whatever, like it is what it is. You have to deal with this to to root for a sports team or to follow a sports team. Now, like I watch a lot of English Premier League, as people on Twitter probably know, and they added video-assisted replay this year to the English Premier League. And it is awful because they do the thing that the NFL does where they the system is meant to protect the refs. So if the ref misses a call – and it's still borderline. The VAR people on the sideline are, are not going to overturn it. And so the last two-minute report fits into that same sort of deal where 
this isn't going to nobody feels better about this the fans of the winning team who benefited from missed calls are like wow now this is taking away from the win the fans of the losing team now just get to say oh they're out to get us and they absolutely missed this blah blah and it's That's just the best it sucks i hate it i just I would almost get rid of replay entirely. Like first call, first call, and that's it. If you don't think it's, I and go even further. If you can't tell if something is a flagrant foul when it happens, it's not a flagrant foul. Period. Like if somebody gets punched or elbowed or thrown to the ground, most of the time you can tell that without a a fifteen minute replay that detracts from the experience. They should have more turnovers with referees. Like not. And basketball turnovers, like a greater turnover in the job because I don't think any of these people know what they're doing. So actually, I don't know if I agree with you there because part of the problem in recent years has been a lot of the old guard that were actually good retired. And so a lot of these dudes now are guys who were reffing like G League and college games before this who got promoted. Okay, And they just have have no feel for the game and they have no idea what they're – like. Think about all the the stupid technical fouls refs call now that where they're trying to take control of things and really put their foot down. You didn't really have to do that with or some of the older guys didn't have to do that because they'd been around long enough that they knew where the line was. But the new guy on the scene always has to act tough. It's like moving to a new school and you gotta they gotta try too hard to impress people right away. Yeah, do you complain that they eat too much avocado toast too? <laughs> Listen, I I am no fan of like like perfect example. I think Tony Brothers is basically a domestic terrorist. I think he's just one. I'm surprised of the worst you officials. said it. That's, some, that's something I would think but not say. <laughs> I mean, dude, he's he's unbelievably bad. And actually, whenever I see Tony Brothers on the game sheet for a night i just know it's going to be a miserable experience for everyone around but there have been guys that retired that the league actually misses them a little bit that's what i'll say steve javits the goat he is the goat Philly well, we're really guy. we really i don't we went a little off script here but um I've, while we're still on the topic of the denver game i wanted to Maybe we should start a scale of like 1 to 5 fire brett browns like how many uh where on the from a scale of one to five would you fire Brett Brown for his his contributions to the collapse in Denver on Friday? Ah, uh, one point five. I'm not. It is what it is. Ooh, see, I would have I would have gone higher here. And we you played know a good team on the road the, without their second or third best player. Um, that's true. I we have we talked about potentially his lack of calling timeouts, but sometimes I, I I'm cool with them not taking a timeout all the time. I don't know, for a lot of different reasons. Whether it's, you know, you want the one momentum shift, like you're ready for like them to finally, you know, hit an open three, get a steal, inbound pass, rip it out of their hands, something like that, where you kind of want there to be some sort of natural momentum, rather than stopping and the crowd still screaming and going crazy and letting the Nuggets walk off to the court to this blistering array of sound. Sometimes I think it's better to just play it out, especially if you think you're the better team. Let it work I think itself that's, out. I mean, obviously, it didn't work itself out, but yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I think that's true in a lot of cases. I, I guess what I would say is, when you're dealing with a big lead, especially going into the fourth quarter, I believe they were up like I want to say like nineteen. They got, got outscored thirty-five to thirteen in the third, fourth quarter, and they lost by three. So that would be 
they were up like 18 ish so that sounded about yeah, right so they're <laughs> I don't somebody know. else can check the math i don't want to do it on the yeah, fly here I, rec- I do a basketball pod yes yeah, so you really think i was in, i was an english major i don't want to deal yeah, with the uh, my three hundred thousand dollar uh creative writing degree didn't teach me math <laughs> but, but point being i think when you're up by 19 20 21 points as they were on friday night that's a situation where i would be quicker to call a timeout because really denver started the fourth quarter with their starters in and wrote it out in that situation, if you can just hold the fort for maybe half the quarter, they're going to sit those guys and it's going to turn into garbage time. You just have to tread water. And so trying to let it play out and, and find that natural momentum, I don't agree with in that spot. I think in, in tighter games, I get it because if it's a tighter game in the first place, that means there's generally been more back and forth and, and both teams are, are throwing counter punches. But I thought they, they've really had nothing – to lose there calling a timeout and i obviously brett decided to wait a little too long things go off the rails the uh the altitude effect that seamus is really mad about started to set in and oh now i have to switch my idea <laughs> take the timeout because of the altitude <laughs> see watch how they switch sides got nothing to say well no i mean <laughs> i'm actually not criticizing brett so there's that well, I think he's okay. done okay. I think he's done okay this year. I have no qualms. Well, I mean, he's, we'll revisit he can't run, the. He can't be the one running the pick and roll. I mean, this is true. We'll we'll revisit the the fire Brett Brown index at a. Yeah, uh, talk to me at eight o'clock on Christmas Day. <laughs> we'll we'll revisit that at a later date. Okay, so you mentioned pick and rolls. Ben Simmons was out of the lineup the last couple games. We're recording this on Monday night, so a lot of you guys will probably hear this. Tuesday morning before they play Cleveland. He may or may not be available for that game. We don't know yet. That'll that'll probably happen sometime tomorrow afternoon. We'll find out. But I think one thing that we we got to see the last couple of games with Ben Simmons out is that the Sixers might have two guards who are credible rotation guys that they're going to have to factor in. And something that we saw from – both Neto and Trey Burke over the last couple of games is the Sixers were actually able to run pick and rolls and pick and pops with their guards and their big men who should be running a lot more of it, quite frankly. And I thought it was kind of refreshing. I don't know how much you pay paid attention or pay attention to the, the play by play or play type stuff, Seamus, but I know that's been something that a lot of people have been wanting to see for years now. I mean, if you have Al Horford on your team, you have to have a steady dosage of pick and pops for sure. And then, you know, obviously Ben's not a threat, a credible, viable threat to shoot off the dribble. So a pick and roll doesn't even really work for him. And you think it would be better with Joel, but I don't even think Joel is that good of a screener to work really, really well in the pick and roll. He can be. He kind of just chooses not to be at times. And that's another complaint that I think I would – I don't want to turn this into bash Joel. but I think – would you credit that to Brett? Because I think even going back to the process error, every big man would slip every screen, it seemed like, between Ja or Noel or whoever was out there. It might be a mix of both, but I I think... I mean, I could see it, Joe like, just getting a little tired and lazy and not feeling like taking a guy into the chair. I was going to say, it's not like the other big men that they had throughout that time were workhorses or anything. Like, Jaleel Okafor didn't show up ready for the day and say... You know what I really want to do today? Set a hard screen on somebody. Fight someone's son. 
<laughs> not somebody's son. Well, oh, it was somebody's son, son, I suppose. Yeah, but that was his dad, not not uh whatever. Not Jaleel himself. Well, don't don't blame Jaleel for the faults of his father. Yeah, if he was better, I wouldn't have to complain. <laughs> well, so point being, I I think Joel is part of the problem there with their lack of pick and rolls. Obviously, when Ben is on the floor, it's basically a non-option. But even somebody like Tob- Tobias should be running more pick and rolls. And we saw him, he had some success doing that against Charlotte on Sunday night. It's a play It's a play that he was using a lot when he's playing in L.A. It was part of his success was he was able to to run the offense a lot and, and find his feel for the offense early in games and then really come on down the stretch. And we haven't necessarily seen him do that while he's been here. And I know Jimmy was the guy who was demanding to do that, but I would, I would like to see some guys They don't, you don't have to be a, a dick about it, but you can say like, Hey coach, can be I, if you want. we should, we should run some more pick and roll, especially those second units. If you throw Neto or Burke out there, both those guys are credible shooters. Even if you're not expecting Burke or Neto to shoot there the second unit is essentially at this point comprised of almost all shooting like Furkan Korkmaz coming off the bench Mike Scott coming off the bench so you're putting a lot of spacing around a pick and roll and that's like that's the ideal NBA set at this point you're you're creating a downhill advantage and when teams have to help you're going to hit an open shooter on the perimeter that hopefully they'll make it. I just I think we should be seeing more of it. I, I think they have. Brown has relented on this a little bit. I give him credit for that, but I think they need to keep folding more and more of this into their their general structure. Do you think Tobias needs to play quicker? I just think Tobias needs to be more selfish. Honestly, I he's a, he's pretty rare he had- for a scorer type to <clears throat> to actually have a conscience. Like we've talked about this before. Somebody like J.R. Smith, that guy thinks every shot he's ever put up is going in, and he could miss nine in a row. He's still going to take the tenth. And while I think it's probably good that Tobias is unselfish and wants to share the ball in terms of keeping team harmony and all that, but they need him to score. They need him to shoot. And so I think the message to him has to be, look, we appreciate the unselfishness, but please feel free to miss a few threes in a row. That's what it's going to take to get you going and, and find your rhythm. Yeah, he needs to have a little bit more of an irrational confidence guy within him. Or they just need that guy on their team. Who's they okay, Bill had. Simmons. I mean, that's a common trope in the NBA. It's not really... I mean, obviously he popularized it, but you need like a microwave scorer, a guy with confidence, a guy who isn't scared to put up contested shots when no one else on the court is able to do so or willing to do so. Yeah, but well, I guess... I guess the irrational confidence guy on this team is going to have to be Furkan Korkmaz, who we will talk about after we have a quick break to talk about our sponsors. So I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Harry's Razors. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to pick out a razor and you you look at different options and you wonder why you're paying several extra dollars for something with a flex ball. But I've had that experience multiple times. Shaving really shouldn't be that complicated. And that's why Harry's Razors focuses on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. On the rare occasion where I actually try to look like a respectable member of society, Harry's has always come through for me. I get a close, 
easy shave and then I go to a wedding without the bride's decrepit grandmother giving me nasty looks from the corner like who's this guy with all that nasty facial hair Harry's make sure to take care of that Harry's cut out the middleman in the shave game and they manufacture their blades in a German factory where they've been getting after it in the blade department for a century now so not only does that reflect well on my German heritage, but it means you're getting incredible high quality blades at factory direct prices, and you can get them shipped directly to your door. Listeners of the new slant can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. Here's what you'll get. A weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe keeps your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry so go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today i'm here to talk to you guys about roman talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like i lost my mojo or we avoided altogether excuses like had a long day at work or sorry honey i'm just not feeling it or the sixers just lost it's not gonna work but with Roman, <laughs> it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to romangetroman.com slash bluewire. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Complete an online visit. Rectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Again, just go to getroman.com slash bluewire. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. To get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com dot com slash blue wire for a free visit to get started get roman.com slash blue wire okay and we're back and before we get to our furk on cork moss talk i just want to take a brief moment to talk about nikola Jokic. obviously seamus and i had the the conversation earlier in the podcast about muting people from denver and and the anger and I had to deal with a lot of angry people in my mentions because I said that the average basketball fan doesn't think Nikola Jokic is elite because if they did, he would get a lot more flack for showing up fat and out of shape this season. And so I heard all kinds of criticism. I got told, oh, well, he beat Joel Embiid, which is true, and I never said anything to the contrary. They acted like I personally play for the Sixers and then I took an L. I just want to let people know my check's clear regardless of whether the Sixers win or not. So doesn't impact me any if they win. Obviously, it impacts me when a the, lot. It impacts Seamus, but if you're talking about my life, it's actually kind of easier for me to, to yell and rant. So when they lose, it's actually probably better for content, not impacting me in that way. But the worst one, and this is by far the most irritating one, were the people who came to me and said, you're fat shaming Nikola Jokic. 
And let me, I just, look, I am, I understand the topic of fat shaming. I don't go up to random people on the street, point and laugh or degrade anybody based on their conditioning. I certainly am not in peak physical condition. But Nikola Jokic is a professional goddamn athlete. He is fat. And if he wasn't as fat as he is, he would be a better basketball player. We could look at an example in Philadelphia. Jaleel Okafor was not in great shape his first couple years in the league. He knew that. He transformed his entire diet. He became a vegan. The much publicized change to veganism. And it's probably one of the only reasons that guy is still in the league. Because it's the only it's him getting slimmer and buying in more is the only reason he's not completely unplayable on defense. That was the difference between him losing his career and him being able to stick around in a rotation. Now, obviously, Nikola Jokic, different caliber of player. First team All-NBA last year. I slightly disagree with that, but the guy certainly had a tremendous year. The Denver Nuggets were great, and he was awesome in the playoffs last year. You will never hear me say otherwise. But the idea that he couldn't be better if he wasn't in better shape is absolutely ridiculous. You're telling me that if he wasn't in better shape and could get to his spots and defend the rim better three or four plays a game, that that wouldn't add up to more wins. And you'd be able to leverage that in high-impact situations. I'm so tired of like, how is this not a big deal for Nikola Jokic? Honestly, you know what I think the thing is? Because... You look at how Joel Embiid is treated. His conditioning is talked about all the time, and it should be because if he was in better shape, he would be a better player. Every basketball player, I don't. it doesn't matter what he looks like. I, he doesn't need to be some Adonis-type specimen. He just needs to be in better shape. Everybody would be better in better shape. I, I don't understand that why that's such a controversial thing or why this is like Denver fans got so mad. But honestly, I think – the biggest tell here is that he's just this goofy white European dude. And so people, all these nerds on Twitter that can relate to him, that's this doughy white guy. And when it's a bunch of black players like Joel Embiid or James Harden is, has a few extra pounds on in the summer, it's a national goddamn talking point on like first take or the jump with Rachel Nichols. Like it's actually talked about. And it said this fat schmuck just gets to walk around because he got to the second round and lost just like Joel Embiid did. Like, I don't get it. It's stupid. He's fat and should be in better shape. He's a professional athlete. Do better. That's about all I have to say. (laughs) Yeah. Look, listen, again, great basketball player, unbelievable talent, and he's extremely unique. People People think it makes them smart to say they like him and he's the best player in the NBA. Anyone who actually watches the game can tell. If you ever watched Joel Embiid play basketball and then you watch Nikola Jokic play a game of basketball, no one would ever think that he's a better basketball player. Everyone wants just to seem smart <laughs> on basketball Twitter so that Nate Duncan will follow them back and maybe retweet them. It's stupid, dude. It's stupid in, in some people's cases. There's prejudices and bias involved there. I, I certainly am not going to paint that with a broad brush. Everyone has their different reasons for sticking up for the Michelin man in Denver, but I, I'm tired of it. He would be better if he was in better shape. That is an indisputable fact because it's true for basically every professional athlete that has ever played the game. It's that simple. 
It's embarrassing. <laughs> so, on that note, we move on to something a little more positive. I think for Arkan Korkmaz, the game winner that he hit in Portland is the most transformative game winner that any player has hit in NBA history. Agree or disagree? I'm not even joking. I think it changed his career. I, I, it sounds stupid, I say but that just, like tongue-in-cheek, no, but it, it really has. No, it changed his entire confidence about himself as a player. He has never had the same confidence as he had when he was playing in Turkey. He's never brought that confidence and that sort of flair with him stateside and just took that one big shot for everything maybe to click in his head. We've seen so many issues with teams, with players on this team over the last couple of years where they may have had a mental block of some degree or they just weren't putting it all together in the way people really expected it and their shot was off and things weren't really falling. But none of those guys had that one big moment. And I guess it's a regular season game in November, so it doesn't really matter. But it was huge. It changed his game. And think of how much... I don't know that this has been talked about much or at least enough with him where there were the reports that he was basically on the verge of going back to Europe. And instead of doing that, he decided, I want to fight for my spot. And and that's he probably could have made a lot of money going to Europe and just playing in Europe the rest of his career. But it was more valuable to him. He didn't want to go out thinking – I could have tried to to get back here again. And so I give him a lot of credit. There was no guarantee he was even going to get minutes this year. But he came out and he performed in, in training camp in preseason. He obviously made an impression on Brett Brown, who, as people know, certainly didn't give him a lot of rope in years past. And in the quest that Brett has been on to grow a bomber, as he's been saying, I don't like Furkan is it. Uh, it's yeah. So Seamus and I have Seamus and I have joked that, have said this a couple of times. It would be I, I wish there were not like the weird ethnic concerns of calling him the Turkish bomber because that would be an awesome nickname, but then that treads into water yeah, where people it, take it the wrong not. way and listen, no I'm I'm explaining that I it would be an awesome nickname because there are never You're good away from sports the chop nicknames. up the sound bites. There, <laughs> There are never good nicknames in sports anymore. People just call them by their initials or some cliche nonsense. I mean, and that Jason would be something it would be something that that came organically from just a random Sixers moment, but obviously there are some issues there that we are not gonna touch that. So if somebody else wants to run with that mantle, go ahead. But I think what did Mike Scott actually Wanted to give him a nickname. Furky Did you see with that the jerky or something like that? <laughs> Furky from Turkey with the jerky. I don't know if that's uh, a little too long it's, or not. It's uh, but... about 18 syllables too long. Well, well, unfortunately for us, Mike Scott's Q rating in Philadelphia is a tad higher than ours. So he probably has a little bit better chance to establish a nickname for Furkan Korkmaz. But we'll, uh, we'll have to work on that one. You can brainstorm. You're the... Uh, the creative brain behind the podcast. Future city councilman Mike Scott. <laughs> but on like on a serious note, I, I think he has been legitimately good offensively for them. I know that like the shooting is the make or break skill for him. If he doesn't shoot well, the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. But his intermediate game has been good. His passing, the behind the back passes, I, I never realized that was such a. Uh, a love interest for him. Those have been pretty entertaining for me. And a nice floater. Uh, 
Yeah, he's always had that that kind of that runner floater game, but I guess when you're not confident in a, a standstill, a three point shot, it's a little harder to to have the gall to shoot these like teardrop floaters over arms in the paint. But he's been having success with that too. He has been a legitimate rotation player. He's shooting forty five percent from three through nine games. I don't. I don't think that's going to hold. No, I don't think it's going to come close to holding, but he has certainly proven that he deserves to get minutes uh, until something gives. I mean, he could shoot 38 or 39% easily. Yeah, and it's weird because he's always had the look of a guy who could shoot and could never back that up. And this is going to give teams – maybe it won't. Maybe this is just me making this up. I feel like this will give teams – incentive to just keep investing in guys who look like they can shoot who might not actually be making shots because there are so many guys that i can remember coming out of college well think about like nick stauskas that's it's like oh man they gave up on him too quick (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean listen they didn't they weren't ready to grow a bomber yet they were not but but somebody like like him in that mold there have been tons of guys that they come out with a shooting pedigree, and it looks like they should be good, and they're not. So maybe, maybe they just need to get worked down to that veteran minimum contract, and feel the fear of losing their NBA career before the shooting comes. I don't know if that's a, if fear is a powerful enough incentive to make guys good shooters, but maybe that'd be a good social experiment. Yeah, he screwed himself, or his agent did on that contract because he has a non-guaranteed option next year for about like one point seven million. The team's definitely going to pick up. Oh yeah, I mean, unless something catastrophic happens between now and then, he's that seems like a no-brainer from where we are today. And that's after a year ago, they basically believed he wasn't an NBA player. Yeah, it was. He was not happy last year, and. Look, I, it's a it's a good story on a human level of a guy that that looked like his NBA career might have been up, and he's come back and and proven himself in a big way, and has earned the trust of a pretty talented cast of teammates around him. I think that's always a uh, it's a cool thing to see that in these rare moments where guys come out of nowhere to impact an NBA rotation. Yeah, it seems like he's one of the guys where, you know, Mike Scott certainly has a ton of personality in the best way possible. And if he's out there giving him a nickname, you know, he's doing things right. Yeah, although I do wonder, there's always part of me, because I remember I I played on lots of, I played lots of different sports and on different teams growing up. And there were always the... There, but there's always, no matter what sport you play, there's always a kid that that people really over cheered for to the point where it was a little condescending. Markel Fultz. That's not where I was going with this, Seamus. But you are free to bring up Mark Fultz whenever. I should have said Mark. <laughs> whenever he comes to mind. No, Markel no, Fultz th- played at University of Washington. Mark Fultz played for the Sixers. <laughs> There's always, but there's always that kid that the good the good players on the team go a little too over the top cheering for them for, and I I, I hope that's not what's happening with Furkan. I do think it's helped that he has played, he has sustained this good play, and it it probably at one point was oh wow Furkan actually did something for us. To now it's like yeah, that's our guy, that's one of our shooters, and we're gonna go to war with him. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was going to say, go. any thoughts over there? Just thinking about Mark. I zoned out thinking about Mark Fultz. Well, you're going to zone out very hard on Wednesday then when they play. That's like the... You really can't trust no one. <laughs> if we were to make like a, a bowl... No, like it's so if, if you're instead of calling it like the Super Bowl or the Toilet Bowl and games that are bad, what is the uh, what's the name of this game between the Sixers? Watch and, how they and switch sides, bowls, no doubt about it. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, he certainly did switch sides, and I actually going into I, that I game, watched him. He he has literally switched sides. One of my big points of curiosity, because for whatever reason, the preseason game they played they nbc decided they were going to treat this like this was 1955 and not broadcast the game then that so broadcasting preseason games is batshit crazy <laughs> shout out to nbc sports for providing absolutely nothing there nothing ever. um but one of the things i'm i'm curious about in that game is how do they defend him because if you remember when they would play teams like the Atlanta Hawks where they were they're coached by a former Sixers assistant Lloyd Pierce who obviously worked very closely with Markel Fultz while he was here their decision was just hey buddy we're gonna leave you alone on the perimeter and I I dare you to shoot and I wonder I wonder if Brett Brown is cutthroat enough to to do that I I tend to think no and I also tend to think they they, should embarrass him they usually play their their base defense and then adjust from there. There's not unless they're in a playoff series, there's not a whole lot of of strategy shifts for specific matchups, but it would be interesting to see if he would just come out and say, Hey Markel, just take like eight threes tonight. I, I double dare you. Yeah, there's no way they do that. There is. I, I agree with you. I I'd think love to be wrong. I usually hear people say that, but like I'd love for, like I want to be wrong i want brett to do it <laughs> that's that almost seems cruel you're like rooting for markel to just have to shoot a ton Dude, of threes I sat that sounds that very thing for like two years and i'm done listen buddy i was close to that and i it's my obligation to say as the guy who reported on oh, the, you're all this, an objective reporter right? no, no 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 as a as a human being i am rooting for markel to to just like figure things out and be a normal NBA rotation player the the circumstances here sucked and he didn't ask for the whole Brian Colangelo getting swindled by Danny Ainge thing that added to all this but end of the day I am quite glad that we only have to talk about him semi-frequently instead of almost every day yeah that's That's what it comes down to so uh, one last thing before we wrap up here Matisse Thibel has sat out the last two games Brett has been he's been pretty honest about the fact that it's it's not an indictment of his game it, it's more about he's look Matisse has not been good on offense and so it's the reality of being in the NBA if if you have tough runs then other guys are going to get your minutes I think one explanation he's given that I thought was a little weird was if he plays both the backup guards he can't play Matisse, which I, it's, it's I don't trickle, think that's true. It's a true. trickle-down effect, though. I kind of understand it, even though like, if he wanted to play, if he really wanted Matisse to play, would he play? But all those right. point guard minutes that were going to Jay Rich are now going to like Neto and Burke, and then that means more minutes for Jay Rich on the perimeter, and then Furkan has emerged, so there's less and less minutes for him to get out there. Yeah, like I get it. I understand what he's saying, and I agree with you. There's some trickle-down, but he would get on the court if, yeah, if, he, if, if Brown Brett really wanted him, wanted him play, out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, they could they could toy with some small ball. They could do different things. But but look, I this is I don't know how you feel about him sitting out at all, let alone a couple of games in a row, Seamus. I tend to think, and I'm a big believer in minutes are what young guys need. But I think this is totally understandable. I think it was probably the right move. He was playing at. He looked like he was playing in fast forward at times. He's in transition and he's throwing layups off the like underside of the rim. He's throwing bullet passes out of bounds. He's he he just looked rushed. And even on defense, where obviously he's far superior at this stage of his career, there's still a lot of that jumpiness. And I know Brown doesn't want to rein in his aggression too much, but he's got to learn that once you're on NBA scouting reports. Guys read them. Guys watch the tape. The elite players that the Sixers want him to defend and that I think he's going to be capable of defending, they're going to get you on those. You're not going to be able to just swat at every rear view contest. There'll be some times where you just have to stay on a guy's hip and wait and see if he's going to pump fake and just bother him by crowding him in space. So I thought it was probably the right move. He I don't have the actually I do have the numbers in front of me. He's shooting 24% from the field right now. That's obviously very bad even for a guy who's taken a lot of his shots from 3. So I think it's probably a good couple days off for him and he'll re-energize. So I don't know where you're at. With do you know what his shows. offense rating is? Did you read the newsletter this morning? I did not oh read it this God. morning. I actually had it oh set aside God. to read, but Can you guess what his offense rating is then? Is it under 85? Oh, yeah. What is it? 64. <laughs> oh. That, now that. that Guess that what the it would Sixers not have offensive been. rating was in 2016. In 26. So you're That's talking the about worst, the 10 and yeah, 72 the worst team season? In the history of teams. I want to say like the low 90s. 95. It was dead last in the league. Uh, okay. Yeah. So imagine it's that, 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 that much worse. Yeah, and, and look, there were always going to be growing pains with him. He was a he's an unpolished offensive player. As good as he was on defense in college, he was not expected or asked to do much. That's fine. He doesn't need to on this team, but he does need to be serviceable there. We've seen a, a perfect example of this: Andre Roberson or Roberson. I never know how to. I think it's Roberson. Okay, so we'll go with Roberson because Seamus, the pen guy, says oh so. Oh my god. <laughs> so Roberson when he was healthy he's been going through some crazy stuff the last couple of years he was one of the he turned himself into one of the best perimeter defenders in the league but when Oklahoma City got to the playoffs he's borderline unplayable because teams just didn't have to guard him and that would be my concern looking forward with Matisse this year they said look it'd be great if they could set him on the second unit and just unleash him in a playoff setting. And you turn loose the the small ball lineups and create a lot of turnovers and, and go on a run. But if teams don't have to guard him at all in the half court, it's going to be a problem. And so he needs to know, buddy, you're going to have to put in some development time this year, play within yourself, slow it down, rein it in, and we'll revisit this soon. And I, I think he's going to get minutes as soon as Tuesday night in, against Cleveland. So I, I certainly don't think it's any kind of big picture thing to worry about. What, one final note, as a self-proclaimed guy who's played a lot of sports in his life, what do you think his shot is looking <laughs> like? I'm, I, the question is sincere in terms of the shot. I'm not a shot doctor in the slightest, but what do you think of it? 
I don't think it looks terrible. No, it doesn't. I mean, he, he's certainly... No one complains about it in the sense that if it was, you know, it's like some of the shots we've seen over the last handful of years, people would be complaining about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's at that level. I, I think, weirdly enough, I think that might be a case where normally what you talk about with shooters is that you want them to, to quicken their release. And it's he doesn't have a lightning quick release, but I almost think he'd be better off slowing down a little bit and just taking his time with it. I, I don't think, because he's not going to be defended out there. It's not, teams are just totally ignoring him when he is on the court. They're actually... I don't remember who it was against. There was a possession where he had an open look in one corner, thought about it, passed out That's of it. That's the worst. Just shoot it. Ran to, to, shoot it. But no, but then ran to the other corner and was wide open again because they didn't they just bear, didn't even bother chasing him. And so it's it, shot release time is not going to be an issue for him. Just practice it's on a TJ as, long wind up. Practice as Brett Brown would say, loading up, brother, cuz you'll have plenty of time to do it. Can we combine Furkin and him together to make like Voltron? Yes, that would be he's what the, the one Kawhi of the Leonard. thirty best players in Kawhi the league. Leonard. <laughs> I don't no, know I'm if I would go I'm that far. Now. All right. Well, on that note, that's probably a good note, good place to stop for today. So, thank you everybody for listening. As always, give us five star reviews. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. And if you ever have questions, concerns, complaints, give them to somebody else because I'm not interested in them. Yeah, I don't want the, I don't want the complaints. Give me everything else. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care. <laughs>